Well, hey, welcome to the last week in our series, Reclaim the Book of Ezra. The entire book of Ezra has been about this idea of just kind of reclaiming what has been lost to us spiritually, how to retake ownership of what God has promised us. And when we left Ezra, the priest, sitting in the dirt last week, he had torn his priestly garments. He is mourning because the people have sinned. Do you remember this? Not just any kind of sin, but the sin that had led the Hebrews to be almost totally erased as a people group from history. Millions had been killed because of this sin. The country had been conquered. It it had been destroyed. The temple had been destroyed. A few thousand, just a few thousand, a remnant of Jews had been sent off into captivity in Babylon and Persia. And through God's sovereignty, the people had been released after 70 years in Babylon. The people of God had rebuilt the temple, though, when they'd come back. And now, after 80 years of being back in Jerusalem, Ezra now comes to worship at this rebuilt temple, leading another group of thousands back to Jerusalem from Babylon. It had been a celebration, a massive time of worship. But then, as the worship was ending and wrapping up, some of the priests and leaders who had concerns about this sin had taken Ezra aside and told him some of the other leaders, some of the people had once again participated in this sin. They had divorced their own Jewish wives and sent them away and married young new wives from the surrounding people groups the banned people groups they were not to intermarry with. And these priests and leaders had begun to worship these false gods along with the worship of the one true God, Yahweh. This sin of intermarriage with these foreign women and taking on worship of other gods, this is what had actually caused all of the heartache in the first place. Now Ezra sits and he mourns. His clothes are torn. He weeps on the ground. Physically, he lets people know that he is in anguish, feeling this pain. And even though he had not sinned personally or even been there, he felt the pain. He felt the remorse of the sin. He knew how bad this sin was and what it meant. Well, as we get ready to pray, would you bow your head with me and just As we get ready to look at this, just pray and ask God to bless our time along with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for just the chance to serve you. And God, although we can't be together in one place at one time, we can be together online at one time. So thank you for this opportunity. God bless all those who are watching. Help us to be able to dive deep. Use these words to change our hearts. Give us a new heart and a new mind. It is in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Well, as we get our Bibles out, go ahead and take notes. 
We're going to cover a lot of ground today in a short amount of time as we wrap this series up. We're going to be in chapter 9, but then we'll also wrap up chapter 10. This passage, let me just say as a pastor, is not an easy one to preach. It's not. The pressure on a pastor in these modern times in the United States is just kind of skip over this passage, and we don't want to do that. But the pressure is to not talk about sin and the damage that sin can do to our lives as followers of God. But we're not going to do that because we want to learn all that God has for us in his word. Amen? Amen? Let me get a big amen button going on there. We are going to see today what the act of repentance looks like and what it does not look like. And I gotta warn you, it's uncomfortable. It's humbling by, by definition, but it's good. As we have been learning the last few weeks, our lives as followers of Christ should be one of daily repentance, coming back to God and saying, Jesus, we want to be like you and less like the world. We ended our time last week with an extended time of prayer asking God, what sin do I need to repent of? Today, as we look at this message here, we start with the group and we ask, what sins do we need to repent of as a group, as a community, as the body of Christ? Then we will see what we need to do personally inside that group to make that happen. Make sense? Then we are going to see what we need to do step after step, the leaders and the people to make sure that we repent every day. Let's look at what Ezra says. If you would, look at chapter nine, verse four. You can read along with me. Everyone who trembled at the words of the God of Israel gathered around. Now look at this. Everyone who trembled at the words of God. This is important. They gathered around me because of the unfaithfulness of the exiles while I sat devastated until the evening offering. Now look who gathers around Ezra as he sits in the dust with his garments torn. The people trembled at the words of God. This is the true remnant of God. How do we know that? Because there's remorse for their sins. The sins of the people had apparently been bothering them as well. Because the first thing they do after this worship ceremony is they go, hey, Ezra, you need to know about these sins. These are the followers of God. He is real people. Now, one of the things we prayed last week was, God, let our hearts be broken by the things that break your heart. Does that make sense? Do you remember that? This is what is happening here. Sin had entered the camp of God's people. But no one had stood up for the truth that we know of and said, that thing is wrong. That's against the law. The leaders should have, but no one had said anything, apparently. Sin had become, well, fashionable. We don't know why, but I suspect it's because many of the leaders were participating in this sin, and it was very visible. What was right was called wrong, and what was wrong was called right. By the way, that sounds awfully uh, like what we have in the world today. 
But they clearly had a remnant of people who saw the sin and felt the guilt, felt the remorse. They knew that this was wrong. A group of people gathered round Ezra as he mourns all day. Here's what we have got to see. Write this down. Repentance should include mourning our sin before God. Repentance should include mourning our sin before God. You get what I'm saying? Part of the act of repentance is allowing ourselves to feel the pain, to to mourn our sin, our wrong both personally but also as part of the group. If we are in Christ Jesus, we are forgiven. Amen? The sin is gone, but to let our hearts be sad, to mourn, to lament. In fact, many of the the Psalms, if you read through the Psalms, are Psalms of lament because of their sin. Let's look at what the Apostle James says in the New Testament as he instructs us on how to treat sin in our lives. Make sense? Look at James chapter four, verse six through nine. The Apostle says this, but he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is what mourning is about, humbling ourselves. Verse seven, therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Now watch this very carefully. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. It's not a thing we often read about in Scripture, is it? We kind of tend to skip over these. The only way to resist the devil is by submitting to and drawing close to God. We can't resist the devil without drawing close to God. It's impossible. But when we do that, Satan will be defeated and will run from us since we are in Christ Jesus. Now, do you see the order here? Cleanse your hands. In other words, stop sinning first. That is the stopping of the sin itself. But then he says to purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now, what is that all about? What is double-minded? We are truly saved. When we are truly saved, our sins are forgiven in Christ Jesus. Why? Because of his death and his resurrection. Amen? But we can fool ourselves as believers into thinking that we can have both the forgiveness, but that thing also in our mind, we can let our heart take part in sin. We can have forgiveness and being double-minded. He's saying this is important. Stopping the sin is critically important, but the other part is purifying our heart and mind and getting rid of the double-mindedness. Now, how do you get rid of the double-mindedness? By letting the Holy Spirit cleanse our mind, cleanse our heart. Letting our hearts be, listen, sad over our sin. Lamenting, letting our heart be broken and mourning our sin. Here, write this down. 
The Holy Spirit uses the mourning of our sin to purify our heart and to cure our double-mindedness. The Holy Spirit uses the mourning of our sin to purify our heart and to cure our double-mindedness. Mm. We want a heart like God, don't we? We want to be like Jesus. We want to be purified. We want to be made holy and have God grow us this new heart and give us a new way to feel and a new way to think. But you have to know what double-mindedness is here. Double-mindedness is to think differently two different ways about the same issue. That is at the heart of so much sin in the Christian life. My life, too. This is what drives it. Being double-minded, double-minded is allowing the thoughts of Christ, letting the Holy Spirit guide my thinking, but at the same time, letting my old sinful voice have a say in this decision. It's that old picture of having the good angel dressed in white and the demon sitting on my shoulder and the good angel says this and the bad demon says this and me listening to both. We don't listen to both, right? We get rid of the demon and we only listen to the Holy Spirit. It helps us get rid of our old sinful thinking when we mourn our sin. Are, are you guys with me? We don't stay in mourning though forever. We don't mourn all the time. We don't mope all the time. But what the Apostle James was pointing out, out is that Christians he is writing to were just being flippant about their sin. They're going, sure, I've sinned. What's the big deal? I'm forgiven of it anyway, right? So they went on sinning. The church that the Apostle James in the New Testament was writing to, they were just laughing about their sin. Like, it's no big deal. But James says, no, brothers, your sin is serious. It's no joke. Our sin cost God the blood and life of his son Jesus to purchase our freedom through the redemption of the blood of Christ. Let's go back to Ezra chapter 9. We can stay out here for a while, but sin was just that big of deal. It wasn't that big of deal for these people back in Ezra. But now they were sitting with Ezra all day, mourning their sin. And look what happens in verse five. It's this. At the evening offering, I got up from my time of humiliation with my tunic and robe torn. Then I fell on my knees and spread out my hands to God, to the, to the Lord my God. Mm. Ezra goes to God on behalf of the people. By the way, the in, that's intercessory prayer. He's praying on behalf, not just saying, I pray for them, but he is putting them, himself in their shoes, right? Remember, Ezra has not sinned, but he is part of the group that has sinned, so he talks to God on behalf of the Jews. That is intercessory prayer. Now, watch what repentance looks like. Verse 6, and I said, my God, I am ashamed and embarrassed to lift my face toward you, my God, because our iniquities are higher than our heads. 
and our guilt is as high as the heavens. Whew. Man, do you see him just acknowledging this sin? Even though it's not his sin, he treats it as if he were guilty of this sin. He goes to God on behalf. He prays for them and he says, we are guilty. And the guilt is not only above our heads, it goes all the way to heaven. You see, Ezra is saying to God, we are drowning in our guilt. It is higher than our heads. This sin is greater than our ability to deal with it. Notice how Ezra is praying on behalf of the group. I want you to get that. It's what we're to do. Then Ezra goes historical. He prays to God. He becomes this history guy and repeats history to God. Back to God. Watch. Verse 7, our guilt has been terrible from the days of our ancestors until the present. Because of our iniquities, that's another word for sin, we have been handed over along with our kings and priests to the surrounding kings and to the sword, captivity, plundering, and open shame as it is today. Hmm. He just lays it out. He says, all of these things that have happened to us all the way back, this is our fault. And he, we, he lists it out, everything that has happened to the Jewish people. Now look at that last line, open shame as it is today. Ezra is telling God what God already knows. <laughs> Namely, that the sins of the people are deep and they are long, and that God was justified for handing his people over to conquering enemies because of their sin, and now they're guilty of the same sin. Now, why tell God this? Well, think about it this way. God already knows, but Ezra is letting God know that he knows, and Ezra and God both want the people sitting around with Ezra to know that they are guilty, and God is just, as in justice, in destroying them if he so chooses right now. Now, confession is the key here. This is so very critical to understand as part of this repentance process that we do every day. Now watch this. Write this down. Repentance must include confession to God of our sin. I want you to get this. Repentance must include confession to who? To God of our sin. Just simply confessing to God what we are guilty of uh, every day. This is something we could do in our quiet time. Just say, God, this is the sin that I'm wrestling with. Just name the sin to God in your prayer time, saying, God, this is what I'm wrestling with. So let me ask you a question. If we are in Christ, I mean truly saved, real, legit Christians, our sins are forgiven. Why confess our sins if our sins are already forgiven? Because we're commanded to. The apostle John tells us in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, by the way, this is one of those that you may want to go ahead and underline and memorize. This is just a powerful verse. 
John tells us if we confess our sins, talking about to God, he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Ah, what a great verse. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness because of what Jesus has done on the cross. That's not like the bad theology that the Roman Catholic Church teaches that says you have to confess your sins to a priest and then that priest has to give you some things to do called penance to do and then only after you do the penance your sins are forgiven. That's, that's simply false teaching. If you are in Christ, your sins are forgiven because of the blood of Jesus Christ, not because anything you do. You don't need a priest. In fact, the book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus is our high priest, our mediator between God and man. We don't have priests now in the church. You can confess your sins to a a brother or sister in Christ. By the way, unless you're married to a sister in Christ, brothers, you confess your sins to other brothers and sisters, you confess your sins to other sisters. That's important because that's uh, that's gonna keep us from sinning in other ways, right? Let's look at what the Apostle James says again. Let's switch back to James, the Apostle James, the book of James, chapter five, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Mm. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Praise God for this. Praise God for this. Now, does this verse contradict what we just said, that we need to confess our sins to other people to be forgiven? That's not what it's talking about. That kind of confession is good to help hold each other accountable. But you don't need a priest. You just need a sister or brother to confess to, not for forgiveness of sins, but in hopes that they can hold you accountable as you just walk this this life. Now, back to Ezra. Watch how Ezra adds to this prayer of repentance for the people of God. Chapter nine, verse eight. But now, for a brief moment, grace has come from the Lord our God to preserve a remnant for us. He's talking about the moment they're sitting in. And give us a stake in his holy place. Even in our slavery, because they're still technically slaves, God has given us a little relief and a light to our eyes. He said, even in the middle of this slavery, even back home, God has blessed us. Though we are slaves, our God has not abandoned us in our slavery. He has extended grace to us in the presence of the Persian kings, giving us relief so that we can rebuild the house of our God and repair its ruins. That had happened to give us a wall in Judah and Jerusalem. That had not happened yet. That's about what the book of Nehemiah is all about. 
Ezra lets God know that he knows that the people of God uh, how, have this freedom. They have been granted from this Babylonian and Persian kings. God's gift to them has been his, his hand in moving the hearts of these kings. It's God's blessing to them, and they don't deserve it. Ezra is praying this prayer, and these people are hearing this prayer too. Now, folks, this is good for us as followers of Christ as well. Jesus did not have to come to save us. We were only owed his wrath, not his, his grace. Now, we didn't deserve saving, so why did he save us? Hmm. Because of his love, his love for us because of his great name, because God through his son wanted to demonstrate, listen, demonstrate his glory in coming to earth to become a man, to live a sinless life, a righteous life, then to die on the cross in our place for our sins. But we don't deserve it. And our prayers of repentance, our mourning and our confession to God of what we have done wrong, oh, we are forgiven of it already if we are in Christ. But if we are forgiven, we remind God that we know that we don't deserve it, but that he is good to us. Not because we are good, but because he is good. Oh, please live that. Get that down in your mind. Do you see what I'm saying here? Now, we could preach another few weeks on this prayer alone as Ezra just pours his heart out to God. But let's jump to chapter 10. Let's look at what God says. Chapter 10, verse one. While Ezra prayed and confessed, weeping and falling face down before the house of God and extolled, uh, extremely large assembly of Israelite men, women, and children gathered around him. The people also wept bitterly. An extremely large group of people gather around. The whole nation, all these people, and they start to weep bitterly too. Why? Because they see the depth of their sin now. Now picture this scene. This is a leader, Ezra, showing other leaders how to repent. This is strange to us because we have not seen it done much in our lifetime. You don't see leaders saying, boy, I sinned, I messed up. Watch what happens. Repentance of leadership begins to spread to other leaders as they are confessing their sin, sins. Now, what is happening? The people of God begin to confess their sin and the healing is beginning to take shape. The people are beginning to be drawn to God and the first sign of it is they sense this mourning, this brokenness. They are letting their heart be broken by the things that break the heart of God. Oh, we pray this happens today in churches because of the United States. The pastors would confess their sin and the people of God would begin to confess their sin and repent. Can you imagine what that would look like? It would just be so great. Dad's listening. I want you to listen very close. This is for you, bro. If you have let sin into your household and it's just kind of like normal right now, just a little bit of sin, repentance needs to start with you. 
Moms and kids will follow. If you repent to seek God, they will too. Watch repentance spread. I love this verse. Watch at verse 2. Chapter 10, then Shechaniah, son of Jehiel, an Elamite, responded to Ezra, we have been unfaithful to our God by marrying foreign women from the surrounding peoples, but there is still hope for Israel in spite of this. Mm. Verse three, therefore, let's make a covenant before our God to send away all the foreign wives and their children according to the counsel of my Lord and of those who, are, who tremble at the command of our God. Let it be done according to the law. Get up, for this matter is your responsibility. And we support you. Be strong and take action. Oh, I want you to see this. I want you to see this. This is not coming from Ezra. It's coming from the leaders now that are feeling this morning. They're feeling being led by God going, hey, we've got to rectify this. The leaders are convicted not only of their own sin, but the lack of leading the people in the right way, which is another sin. The leaders begin to do the right thing. And they're saying, Ezra, this is what we need to do. You lead us in our time of confessing our sin. That sounds harsh, doesn't it? But the sin is bad. And the remedy, the remedy, here it is. Write it down. Repentance must include getting rid of the sin. Repentance must include getting rid of the sin. Why is this so important? Because if we don't get rid of the sin, if we let this thing go on, it will just continue to fester. It will come back over and over. Repentance must include getting rid of the sin. Now, let's be careful here and really think through what's happening. We don't want to do the wrong thing here. Some of these men had married these foreign women who had not converted to following Yahweh, the one true God. These guys had sent their first wives, their real wives, and their children away in favor of these new foreign women. Now, this had been about power just as much as it had been about the attractiveness of these new young women. It had been about social position of gaining power, of uniting God's people with all of these other people. It had been about the standing of them in the uh, social order. Now, the remedy and the repentance was now to send these foreign wives away and their children. No doubt, provision had been made for them, but to send them back to their people, to get them out of the camp of the people of God. It sounds harsh, doesn't it? But remember, these women could repeat, uh, I'm sorry, could repent and turn their heart back to God and stay, not be married to these guys. They could stay in the camp but these women would not repent. How do we know? Because they sent them away. That was part of the law. They could repent and join with the Hebrews there. But just like a guy that leaves his wife for a young secretary, 
and divorces his wife, the remedy here when the guy comes to his senses and wakes up and is convicted of a sin is to not keep the secretary as his wife, but to let her go and go back to his real wife, his first wife, and leave the secretary. Make sense? Now, this is where we have to be very, very careful. When the Apostle Paul tells the Corinthian church this, in chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, he says, get rid of the evil among you. He's talking about inside the church. He's not talking about the evil outside. That's right. We have to get rid of the sin inside our own church family first. But what that means in those uh, But what that means is that those in the church body, the people who call themselves Christians, but who don't repent of obvious sin, it is the job of the church leaders like Ezra here and the priest then to carry out the discipline if they will not repent. That is one of the main roles of elders, our shepherding elders. But what it does not mean, listen to me, is that we get rid of people who have come to Christ and are living under the grace of God but may have committed sin like this before they came to Christ. They've repented of it. Because Jesus, we live under the grace of God. Praise God. We are forgiven of our sin. So a woman that marries a non-Christian man and then she becomes a Christian, but he doesn't become a Christian, Scripture does not tell that woman to now leave her unbelieving husband. In fact, the opposite. If she can follow Jesus while being married to this man, maybe, maybe the spiritual fruit of that woman can lead this man to respond to the gospel and be saved. But the point is made, active, unrepentant sin in God's people has to be dealt with decisively. And that's what happens here in chapter 10. Let's look at verse five. Ezra 10, verse five. Then Ezra got up and made the leading priest, Levites, and all Israel take an oath to do what had been said. So they took the oath. Ezra is going to hold the leadership's feet to the fire. Not all the people in the country that had done this, but the leaders. This is what accountability looks like. Ezra makes sure that these guys are going to do what they are supposed to do, that they are going to be held accountable for carrying out their repentance. Oh, check this out. Repentance includes accountability to the body. Repentance includes accountability to the body. This is why we confess our sins one to another. Or when someone is repentant and they're walking under the care of a shepherding elder or a pastor, this is so important. Repentance includes accountability to the the body. It's why we do life together. That means we hold each other accountable as brothers and sisters in Christ to do what we say we're going to do in leaving our sin behind. It doesn't mean that every sin someone repents of is gonna be logged into some book, right? And overseen by the pastor going, oh, I've seen you are continuing to do this sin. I don't need to know that. By the way, that book would be massive, right? But what it does mean 
Is that a brother or sister that says to you, hey, hey, I, I want you to know that I've been struggling with this sin. I've repented of it and have been convicted by the Holy Spirit to stop it. And I've, I've done that, but I, I need some help. Could you walk alongside me? Could you hold me accountable? Someone in your small group. Again, brothers with brothers, sisters with sisters. But saying, hey, could you walk beside me? Brothers and sisters, this is good stuff. This is good stuff. When this kind of thing happens, we should lovingly keep people accountable. Do life with them. Walk with them. Ask them how they're doing. Text them. Call them. See them when we get to meet together. Pray for them regularly and to keep their confidence and to not gossip and share things all around to hold them accountable if they go back to sin. And then it might be going to your shepherding elder if they won't respond to you and say, hey, I need your help holding a brother accountable. Help me to know what to do. That's love. It's difficult. It's messy because we're messy people, but that's love right there. That is literally agape love being demonstrated. Let's look at verse 10. All the people gather around in this massive courtyard of the temple to hear from Ezra. It's pouring rain. It's cold. It's just pouring, dumping rain, the Bible says. But look at verse, verse 9. Then the priest, Ezra, stood up and said to them, you have been unfaithful by marrying foreign women. He's talking to the big group now. Adding to Israel's guilt. Therefore, make a confession to the Lord, the God of your ancestors, and do his will. Separate yourselves from the surrounding peoples and your foreign wives. The decree goes out. He said, this is what needs to happen. Can you just picture this? It's pouring rain. It's cold. This is just miserable, isn't it? You hear this old guy just saying, you got to do this. Look, look, the leaders are not forcing them to get rid of these women they, they uh, have taken as wives. They could keep the women. They just couldn't stay part of God's community, God's people. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 that says, get rid of the evil among you. This is what Paul is referring to, active sin. Verse 12, then all the assembly responded loudly, yes, we will do as you say. Oh, this is good news to be able to see the assembly say, we will repent. We will do what you say. They are following the leadership of the man of God as he preaches. And he says, this is what you're supposed to do. This is what preachers long for. The people of God repent. Sin is putting, put away. This is a wonderful sound to God when the people of God repent. It is at the at this point that the people of God, the group, begins to grow as well as the individuals inside that group. Did you check this out? When we put sin away and follow God, that's when we begin to grow as a group, as a body, but individually. Well, the rest of chapter 10 and the rest of the book is the, the process of carrying out this repentance. I want you to know that repentance 
It's not easy, but it's good. It is good. It is something we need to incorporate daily into our quiet time. God, what is it that you want me to do to repent of today? Let your Holy Spirit examine my heart. Sin in a believer's life has been compared to cancer. It's actually a very good analogy. You can have a tumor, a cancerous tumor that is slowly killing you and you have no idea until that tumor starts to kind of show to cause problems in your life, a bump, a a lump, a pain in your life. You go to a skilled doctor that does tests and he does these tests and he gives you the bad news. He says the cancer has, has, has to come out and it's going to be rough. You're going to face a battle of surgery, radiation, chemotherapy, and and he warns you that this could last for months or even years. And you ask the doctor very carefully, say, Doc, what if I don't do anything? I feel fine right now, just this little lump. What if I just live with it? The doctor says, if you do, it will rob you of your ability to have a life to live the life you want to live. And in the end, it will take your life completely. Some of you have lived that. Sin is like that battle too. As believers in Christ Jesus, our sins have been forgiven. They are washed away by the blood of Christ. But if we don't actively repent of the sin on a regular basis and even on a daily basis, they begin to grow a cancerous tumor. And at first you think, well, it doesn't really cause me much pain. In fact, it's, it's not that bad at all in my life. I can live with this. But in the end, if we don't actively repent of our sin and seek the holiness of God, sin will cause death, not in that we lose our salvation, but we lose the life and the purpose God has called us to. Yes, you'll still go to heaven if you are saved by Jesus' sacrifice. But listen to me. We will miss all the blessings both here on earth and certainly in the massive blessings that God wants to give us in our heavenly home once we are back in heaven. Simply because we could not repent or would not repent here. Oh, Christians, this issue of sin is a serious one in the church. Yes, you are forgiven, but if you continue to sin and let the cancer take hold once again, you will never become the person God has designed you to be. As we close our time today in in this series, let's just take a few minutes to pray together and to ask God through his Holy Spirit living in our lives to examine our hearts and to see if there's anything that we need to repent of. Let's just enter a time of prayer with God. Would you bow your head? Father God in heaven, by the power of your Holy Spirit, just living and working in our lives as believers in Christ Jesus, would you just examine our hearts, show us where we need to repent, turn our hearts to fully follow you. As you just pray, you can think of it like this. The Holy Spirit being this doctor running those tests on your life, just spiritually. So listen right now. Is there something that the Holy Spirit of God is just telling you you need to repent of right now as a Christ follower? 
take a moment right now. Is it unforgiveness towards someone? Repent. Forgive that person. What if they're not, whether, what if they're not worthy of repentance or forgiveness? Forgive them anyway. Because of Jesus, right? Is it because of worry? Are you worried about this pandemic or something connected to this right now? Is it finances? Is it a job? Is it sickness? Is it what you're thinking that you go, what if my family gets this? What if I don't have a job? Whatever it is. Is it worry? First Peter tells us, chapter 5, cast your cares on God because he cares for you. Repent, repent. Get rid of the worry. Just give that to him. To cast something means you have to let it go. Is it sexual sin like these guys in Ezra? Repent. Are you looking at something you shouldn't be looking at? Are you playing thoughts in your mind that you you need to get rid of? Repent of that thing. Have you made an idol out of something? Maybe trusting that this thing could finally bring you happiness. Maybe it's a thing or a car. Maybe it's just a job, family. Maybe it's money or a relationship. Repent of that sin of making that thing an idol in your life. Just do that right now. Listen, Jesus, the good doctor, is ready to help you. He's ready to help you let that sin go. Even though you're forgiven of it. You're forgiven of your sins. But to let go of it. Pray and ask for help in letting go right now. And if you're not a Christian, listen to me for just a moment. If you know that story that we were talking about Remember how the foreign foreign wives in the story of Ezra were just sent away? At the end of the age, if you are not saved by Jesus Christ and his blood, his atonement, and you are a follower of his, listen to me, listen to me, you will be sent away. What I mean is that the Bible tells us that all who are not saved by Christ Jesus will face a final judgment in front of a great white throne. And the judge who sits on that throne, judging on that throne, is none other than Jesus Christ himself. If you are not in Christ, when you die, what what will you say to Jesus? Standing there, will you try to stand on your record even knowing that you are sinful? You know that. Will you say, I was, a, I was a pretty good guy? Listen, not if, but when you stand in front of that throne and face Jesus and that judgment, there is nothing that you can say that can save you. You are guilty and the punishment is eternal in what the Bible calls a lake of fire. It will be too late at that point. Now, you can play like the Bible doesn't say anything about that, but it simply wouldn't be true. Jesus is the person, Jesus Christ is the person in the Bible that talks more about hell and eternal punishment than anyone else. 
And yet, it's the same Jesus, the Son of God, that has made a way for you to avoid hell and eternal torture by offering himself as a sacrifice for your sins. Oh, why on earth would you not take that deal to literally have your sins washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ, to have your sins forgiven because he takes your place and spills his blood for your sin so that you don't have to pay for it. Dude, wake up. Wake up. And not only is your sin forgiven, but the righteousness of Jesus would be credited to you. Believe, believe, believe to be saved from hell and to be given the righteousness of Jesus. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God and what that means is to place your faith in Him as your only source of salvation, your only hope, Jesus Christ. To believe at the core of who you are that God the Father has given his love to you by offering Jesus as a sacrifice for your sin and that God raised Jesus up on the third day. Before you do this, wait though, wait. Count the cost. What do you mean cost? Now I get it. This is a big step. We we call it a step of faith for a reason. It is simply the first step of faith on a long journey of steps of faith. If you're not a follower of Christ, what you are doing by believing is giving up the old you, the sinful side of you, and the Holy Spirit of God will come inside you and begin to reshape and remold you into a new you. He will give you a new heart and a new mind. And as you begin to follow Jesus in his lead of your life, As he rules your life, he will begin to remove that old sinful you, the old desires you have. It's a battle every day. That's what we were talking about today. But but you just trust him. He has a plan for you. What I'm saying is that if, that you are surrendering your life. It's a trade. Jesus takes your sin. You get his righteousness. Do you believe this? If you do, then tell God. Pray and tell him right now. Switch teams is what I'm saying. Switch to team Jesus. God, we pray for all those who are coming to you right now for help. Help them to believe. Holy Spirit, wake them from the dead. Call them, save them. It is in the name of Jesus Christ we all prayed and said, amen, amen.